Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. We're up to episode number 24, and for this episode, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. I want to talk about terrorism, as usual, as this is a blog on terrorism, but I want to bring in a little bit of pop culture, and by doing so, I hope to, if I succeed, in demythologizing some things that, that are said or thought about terrorism and, and radicalization to violence, which is often the precursor to terrorism. This episode stemmed from a movie that I went to see with my old my son, Sean, the other night here in Ottawa, and it's the latest in the DC series, The Joker. This is the character that's familiar with from the Batman series. I'm old enough to remember the original television series in the 1960s, very campy but a series that it was also sort of the It series for many actors to have a cameo on. It was so popular at this time. And the Batman series has had a variety of characters play the Joker over the years. You may remember Jack Nicholson some years back, uh, Jack Nicholson being a, a classic actor. His Joker was a little bit goofy, I would say. Then there was the Heath Ledger character, who was a little bit darker in terms of the things he did and the way he, th- th- he carried things out. And now we come to the latest instance, or the latest portrayal of the Joker by uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And this movie is currently out in theaters, as I mentioned. And I want to answer, for, I want to ask and answer a very simple question in this podcast. Is the Joker, as portrayed by Mr. Phoenix in this movie, a terrorist? Does he engage in terrorist activities? So let's look at the character as portrayed by Mr. Phoenix in the movie what he looks like, what he does, what he goes through, and then walk through whether or not this, this can be construed as terrorism. So the character played by Mr. Phoenix is, a, in many ways, a very pathetic character. He's a man who is not married, does not appear to be in relationships. He lives with his mother. He works what seems to be part-time as a clown in New York City, doing things like advertising for sales outside on the street, He does some children's parties, etc. And he appears to work for an agency in which there are several people that also offer their clown services. The interesting part about Mr. Phoenix's character is that he has what appear to be some serious psychological issues. He has an uncanny ability to to laugh. And at times he cannot control his laughter. He often laughs, I wouldn't say inappropriately, but certainly in instances where you wouldn't expect it. He regularly meets with a psychologist, which is being provided by the city, to talk about his issues. It looks like he, in fact, was adopted at some point, and that during his adoption, he was beaten, or at least abused, either by his mother or his mother's partner. He seems to have a thing against people in society who've done well, rich people, for example. He is convinced that he is the illegitimate son of the family that led to parents of Batman, that his mother worked for the family for many years and gave birth to a child from the magnate of the Batman family, which of course ends up not being true. So throughout the early part of the movie, you see Mr. Phoenix, he has aspirations for becoming a stand-up comic, which fails miserably, and his life is not doing very well. So as the movie goes on, you see him engaged in a number of activities which are, are quite violent. At first, he is the on the receiving end of violence. 
he is uh, kicked and beaten by a bunch of kids that essentially steal his sign as he's working as a clown outside a shoe store or a store that sells electronic devices or whatever. Then he finds himself on a subway in New York, uh, dressed as a clown, and he's being taunted by three people who appear to be drunk and who one would think were probably sort of Wall Street bankers or Wall Street investors. Just prior to the scene, Mr. Phoenix, who had been carrying a gun given to him by another clown of the agency for which he worked, he was in a hospital doing a clown routine and the gun fell out of his pocket in front of all the kids. And despite his efforts to hide the gun, this of course is very inappropriate and he ends up being fired from the agency. So he finds himself on the subway when these Wall Street guys who are very, uh, very drunk start making fun of him. Because he's laughing, as I mentioned, uncontrollably. He can't. He's laughing in an inappropriate manner. Well, as these guys continue to taunt him, he pulls out the gun and he kills them. He kills all three of them. Two of them on the train and one of them who gets off the train. Mr. Phoenix pursues him and shoots him dead. What's interesting at this point is the reaction of uh, average New Yorkers to this crime. He, of course, he gets away with it because he's disguised as a clown. And some of the tabloids treat him as a hero. Here's this guy who's down on his luck, and he takes it out against the man, takes it out against Wall Street, takes it out against the people who are rich and do not share their wealth with the poorer classes. So as the movie goes on, he, he does a stand-up routine. It, uh, it fails because he, he, he can't tell a joke, and he is laughing at, uh, at times that don't seem to make any sense. What happens is that he there's a talk show host that gets a hold of his stand-up routine and he shows it on the air to make fun of Mr. Phoenix. But the reaction from the fans of this talk show host are such that he reaches out and invites Mr. Phoenix to come on the show and do a stand-up routine live for television. And interestingly, Mr. Phoenix has almost like a parallel life where he imagines himself in certain situations. He imagines he has a relationship with a woman. He imagines he's been on the talk on the talk show before as somebody who's well respected. So he ends up going on the show, and he's dressed very differently this time. He's changed his clown outfit. Kind of reminds me a bit of the Heath Ledger character from several Batman's ago. And in the course of his interview on this talk show, he admits that he's the guy that killed the three people on the subway. And he proceeds to try to explain why he did this. Essentially, he's a, he was a marginalized individual. He was being made fun of. He hasn't got his due course in society. And he felt that, you know, these people were taunting him. So he pulled out a gun and he, and he shot them. And as the talk show host is, is standing incredulous listening to this story, Mr. Phoenix pulls out a gun and puts a, a few bullets into the host essentially saying, you made fun of me by airing that stand-up routine that was a disaster. You brought me on this show to humiliate me further. Long story short, he ends up getting arrested. But this is what returns really interesting. So he's being taken by the police, assumingly to be charged and to be placed in, in custody. And there's this whole scene of riots that are happening in New York. So at the same time, there's, there's been some garbage strikes, there's some sort of civil disorder, there's civil, civic breakdown in New York City. And Mr. Phoenix's character, as I said, is being treated as a hero for having shot these three Wall Street bankers. And while he's being transported to police precinct, uh, there are thousands of people on the streets all wearing variations on clown masks. 
to try to emulate what Mr. Phoenix represents. He is freed from the police officers. He is injured. And the what I found the most interesting part is that the other clowns, or the ones wearing clown masks rather, essentially raise him up to be their leader. He's now standing on a, on a, on a cart surrounded by hundreds of his followers, all carrying either guns or, or, or lit torches or baseball bats, all bent on destruction, trying to get back at the man, trying to get back at, at society, trying to get back at the wealthy. And he's now the leader of what appears to be a movement against this particular uh, part of society, society that is uh, against the disenfranchised. So I go back to the question I asked at the start of the show. Uh, can the Joker be construed as a terrorist? Can what he went through be construed as a process of radicalization to violence? The more I think of it, I think the answer is no. I think that there's no question that Mr. Phoenix's character uh, suffered greatly in society, in part due to his mental illness, in part due to the treatment he suffered as a child, in part due to the way that his fellow clowns treated him within the agency, in part due to the taunting he got in the subway from the Wall Street people, in part due to what the talk show host did to him by humiliating him on, in front of a national audience on television with his, his failed stand-up comedy routine. He's been through a lot, but does any of that account for what he became? You could answer that, that is yes, that in fact, his decision to shoot the Wall Street bankers and to shoot the talk show host that this can be completely accounted for by the trials and tribulations that he suffered as an individual. But does that constitute radicalization to violence? I don't think that it does. It certainly offers a partial explanation for why he did what he did. But normally when we talk about radicalization to violence, we're talking about radicalization to terrorist violence or radicalization to extremist violence. And in my mind, what Mr. Mr. Phoenix does in the film is he certainly sort of gets the upper half, if you will. He certainly seeks and gains revenge against those in society which have made fun of him, which have kept him downtrodden, kept him under, under their foot, not allowed him to succeed, not allowed him to get a better apartment, not allowed him to form relationships. But nothing in the film suggests to me that he is an actual terrorist. Recall that when we talk about terrorism, what we're talking about is some kind of an ideological or political or religious set of, of, of beliefs. When we talk about terrorist organizations, there's always something underlying that. There's a philosophy behind it, if I can use that word. And what Mr. Phoenix does in the end by inspiring a whole host of other New Yorkers who are equally looking to gain revenge, or in many cases, people who simply want excuses for violence, and they see Mr. Phoenix as sort of their conduit, if you will, to use violence. That's not an ideology. That could be hate. It could be a sense of frustration. It could be a sense of anger. It could be a sense of anxiety. But you'd be hard-pressed to actually label that an ideology. You'd be hard-pressed to label that a political movement. It certainly isn't a religious movement. So you can, you can discount that one right from the get-go. And I think that there's an important distinction to be made here and I've kind of talked about it a bit in previous podcasts, and that's the difference between hate and terrorism. So in the Canadian Criminal Code, for example, the parts of the code that cover terrorism and hate are completely different parts of the criminal system here in Canada. They are completely far apart within the code itself. I would argue 
that all forms of terrorism are forms of hate at an underlying level, but not all forms of hate are underlyingly forms of terrorism. What Mr. Phoenix and some of the people in New York are exhibiting in this movie are, are, are clearly feelings of hate, justified and or not justified, but they're not terrorists in nature. He's not a terrorist figure. He's not a terrorist leader. He has not given birth to a terrorist movement. He is simply given some kind of, whether he's a conduit or given some kind of room for people to act out on their frustrations, and that's not terrorism. The other thing that is important with respect to this movie and this question of whether or not Mr. Phoenix and his character is a terrorist, I'm not sure if anybody's even asking these questions, to be perfectly honest, but I do find it a fascinating one, goes back to some of the mythology that's out there about who becomes a terrorist and why. So even if we, as we assume, for argument's sake, that the, that the Phoenix character is not a terrorist, there are many that would point to elements in his life that explain or account for why others do in fact become terrorists, be they Islamist extremists or far-right or neo-Nazi or other types of religious extremism or ideological extremism. And these elements are things like mental illness. They are elements like disenfranchisement. They are elements like alienation or marginalization in society. And when you see this film, you cannot but conclude that Mr. Phoenix comes from a background in which there is serious mental illness. I talked about the uncontrollable laughter. He certainly has a whole host of mental issues that he's trying to deal with. Hence, he's on several types of medication that's been prescribed by his, his psychotherapist. He certainly uh, suffered greatly as a child in terms of maybe physical. There certainly were signs of physical abuse. There's probably emotional abuse as well and psychological abuse. He's been unable to gain uh, meaningful work. He's working as a clown in New York City. He, so he probably feels alienated from greater society. He has failed in his attempts to become a stand-up comedian. And, you know, even when he's down, he's being kicked by people that see themselves as his superior. These are the guys on the subway and some of the punks in the street that give him, put the boots to him in, in the early, early scenes of the film. So there we have those themes, mental illness, alienation, disenfranchisement. And a lot of people have put forward this notion that people who radicalize the violence, people who end up becoming terrorists, joining terrorist organizations, or being inspired by terrorist organizations to commit acts of terrorism, must in fact come from that kind of background. And I'm not the only one who has tried to dismiss these notions. There are many academic scholars, there are many other people out there who have shown that there is no one-to-one -one relationship between mental illness and terrorism. There's no one-to-one -one relationship between alienation and terrorism or disenfranchisement or marginalization or lack of education or lack of employment or, and the list goes on and on and on. So even if we were to conclude that there is something about the Phoenix character and something to the movement that looks like it could be terrorist in nature, we could still not draw a, a definitive line between the types of experiences that he had in his life, the types of challenges he faces psychologically, and the reasons why he would have become a terrorist. You just, you can't do that. These relationships aren't there. It's not as simple as that. And hence, there are a lot of people that say, well, if you want to nip terrorism in the bud, all you have to do is, you know, create better mental health facilities and mental health services. You have to get at this feeling of alienation and disenfranchisement. You have to make people want to belong. There's a whole theory out there about a sense of belonging causing terrorism. 
which I don't think is, is true either. This is an argument I've been trying to make now for the better part of, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And it's still out there. And there are still public officials here in Canada, and I'm sure elsewhere, who make these statements publicly about the fact that this is what terrorism is all about. This is why people radicalize the violence. There has to be some kind of a, a cause or some kind of a series of events or a series of circumstances which inevitably leads someone down that pathway whereby they end up being a violent extremist or a violent terrorist. And if you look at enough cases in enough countries around the world, you'll find that there's simply no data supporting this. This is not to say that there aren't some terrorists who in fact do suffer from mental illness or some terrorists who do see themselves as marginalized members of society. They don't seem to have succeeded very well. They haven't you know, achieved the brass ring. They're not they're not living in Tony neighborhoods or making a lot large salaries or they haven't got the right partner, the right woman or the right man. So even while there are cases like that, and I can certainly say that, for example, when you look at the neo-Nazi scene in, in places like Germany and perhaps the United Kingdom as well, there may be a preponderance of people who are lower class with lack of education. But at the same time, when you look at other members of those movements, you'll see that, for example, in many cases, the leadership is anything but marginalized is anything but ill-educated. In fact, they tend to be highly educated. They tend to be highly charismatic people who simply have that gift to convince others to follow in their footsteps or to follow their lead and take action on their behalf. So in the end, when we look at this this film, The Joker, it's, it's, it's a fascinating film. It's a very dark film. If you're not into dark films, I don't recommend that you see it. But to me, it really puts to the forefront some some fundamental questions about what is terrorism how do you identify it how do you quantify it how do you characterize it what is radicalization what is the process how does it happen why does it happen and where does it happen because these are questions we're still asking ourselves decades after 9-11 and as i've said on many occasions we're living in a post 9-11 world in which we're, we're struggling for answers to these questions and it dismays me a little bit that here we are sitting at the almost end of 2019. It's been almost 20 years since 9-11. And yet we still come across these, what I call myths, these misconceptions about you know, what terrorism is, what radicalization of violence is. Sometimes, you know, this is phrase about art mimicking reality or reality mimicking art. I'm not sure which way it goes. But I do recall that sitting there watching this movie, I was always I was there for, to you know spend some time with my son and to you know uh, be entertained for a couple of hours, but I couldn't help but think while watching this film that this was an interesting uh, set of circumstances, an interesting character played by Mr. Phoenix, and maybe it's the terrorism uh, analyst in me. You know, you can never sort of get rid of that desire to analyze things that you're looking at, but I, I kept wanting to ask the question: Is that could this be, in fact, depicted as a movie about a terrorist? Could this be depicted as, fact, a movie about somebody who radicalizes the violence? And I couldn't get there. I certainly saw that the Mr. Phoenix's character had suffered greatly on a whole bunch of levels, and at the end of the day, he ended up taking out his frustrations in a violent way. He ends up killing, what, uh, five people, in addition to the talk show host and the three Wall Street guys, he kills uh, a partner of his who had given him the gun, which made him lose his job in the first place. 
So he certainly ends up acting in a very violent manner and appears to have spawned a, a like-minded movement of people who also want to get back at society and to punish those they perceive as keeping them down. But it's not terrorism. And I don't think it's radicalization to violence. You may think this podcast has been a waste of time. Uh, why am I talking about a Hollywood film when, when, this, when I should be talking about real terrorism that's out there? There certainly is no lack of terrorism. For those of you who follow me on my website, you know that I'm involved in this series today in terrorism. It's a series I, tend to, I intend to keep up for an entire year, whereby every day I'm finding acts of terror, real terrorism that have occurred somewhere on the planet at some point on a given calendar day over the past 100 years or so. But I do think that there are Hollywood films that do talk about terrorism. Think of the Jack Ryan films. Think of maybe some of the Mission Impossible films. Think of some of the films that talk about what happened in Afghanistan. Think about the films that talk about Bin Laden's finding and, and, and killing. So terrorism is a topic that Hollywood, in fact, has broached. It is a topic that Hollywood has embraced to a certain extent. And the Joker film, which, again... Uh, maybe on the surface looks like it's about terrorism, is not. It's simply about a very hateful character who is driven through a set of circumstances to lash out in a violent fashion against those who have persecuted him. What do you think? Do you think the Joker is a terrorist? Do you think that he's involved in a terrorist movement? Do you think at the end of the film that what's happened is that he actually has created what could be called a violent extremist movement? I'd be curious, for those who've seen the film, whether you agree with my analysis that this doesn't constitute terrorism. As usual, I'd love to hear what you think. Send me an email at borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the end of this podcast. You can reach me at Twitter at Borealis Saves or on LinkedIn or on Facebook. That's the end of episode 24. I'll talk to you in a fortnight. Until then, stay safe. It may sound absurd.